Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 247. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Moon Knight, episode 5, Asylum, directed by Mohamed Diab, written by Rebecca Kirsch and Matthew Orton. This series was created for television by Jeremy Slater, and Moon Knight is a Kevin Feige production. Before our show starts, want to let you know once again about Fan Show Plus. That is the podcast that is available exclusively to premium subscribers, whether that's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts, you can find it there. And that is where we talk about extra MCU topics and news, like the news that John Watts is no longer directing Fantastic Four. That'll be on the next edition of Fan Show Plus. And we also have stuff happening outside the MCU, including some upcoming spoiler reviews for the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series. That is on the way at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. And then make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who's already taken the time to share their thoughts. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? Well, I am uh, doing well. Had a very long, good weekend with uh, my brother. He came over. We watched NFL Draft. He did his drafting all day. It was football pretty much all weekend, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, obviously, we've got a fantastic uh, Moon Knight episode. Very, very deep and very serious episode, but I, I think a fantastic episode nonetheless. So yeah, it's been a it's been a great week. I can't wait to uh, dive into it. Marvel Studios really needs to do the draft when they announce their cast. Like, and that's what it was at San Diego Comic Con in 2019 when Kevin Feige brought out Mahershala Ali because it was very much the draft vibe. Like, he even had the hat to put on instead of the team hat. Oh, it was a blade yeah. hat. It was awesome when that <laughs> happened. And after watching the draft, because when you're a football nerd, it's all you have until yep. things get rolling again and people actually start playing the game. But, uh, yeah, it would be awesome if we could see a little more flair with those casting announcements. But Marvel does a pretty good job, generally, of making things very exciting. But we are here to talk about a really just great, well, not just beyond great, an outstanding episode of Moon Knight. Mm. And I, I think that this fifth episode, Asylum, it was just brilliant and moving on so many different levels and... It does so much to be just so great watching this episode in the moment as it's presented, but it also does that wonderful trick of making the episodes that came before it even better and more interesting than they already were, and it certainly sets things up for what should be a fantastic finale because, wow, we only have one episode left of Moon Knight, and especially now after episode five, I want like five more episodes of Moon Knight. I want this to be the midpoint of the series, but alas, we only have one episode to go. Um, but this was, uh, as I said before, just a brilliant episode. And one of the things I want to talk about at the top, before we get into all the different beats that, that happen in this episode, I know this one has structural similarities to previously on the penultimate episode of WandaVision, just like this is the penultimate episode of Moon Knight, or at least this season of Moon Knight, depending on whether or not this is going to have multiple seasons. And I think those 
similarities are it's fair to point them out because but it's not really a criticism as much as it is as it is just a general observation but i think the differences outweigh those similarities because while we see characters going back through and, and literally stepping into their own past and reliving and experiencing their trauma and understanding the truth or truths about themselves no two journeys through personal trauma are going to be the same because everyone has had their unique experiences. And obviously what Mark Spector has gone through is very different than everything that Wanda Maximoff has gone through. And that's not to say anybody's done something, anybody's had it worse or easier or anything like that because compare there just no need to have comparisons and be competitive about things like trauma. They've each had their own journey. And we'll talk about the difference, and I think the differences become more apparent as we speak about the the specific scenes and, and events as they unfold in this episode. But when I talk about this one making other episodes better, I go back to, as Paul and I were discussing off the air here a few moments ago, episode three, when Arthur Harrow is talking to Layla and Mark and talking about why... Mark has not told her the truth about her father, because if he did, she would see him as he sees himself. Mark would see himself as unworthy of love. And that line takes on a whole new and terribly tragic meaning as we go through this episode. And and we will talk about it as as we get to that revelation. Um, But Paul, this episode was it was special. And I'm looking forward to going through all of it. And I I certainly knew it was apparent as I was watching it. And certainly by the time the credits rolled on this episode of Moon Knight that we were watching, you know, it. not that we have the most meaningful award show out there. We definitely don't. But an instant (laughs) contender for episode of the year uh, with Asylum, episode five of Moon Knight. Yeah, this was an episode that I expected to have a lot of reveals. And as, as someone like myself, who I'm, I'm very much a, a, a giant Moon Knight fan from the comic books, as I've said many times on the show before, I tend to have expectations as far as like where they're going to take the character from a story standpoint, for the most part. And I, I figured that you know we're going to get more reveals of what's causing potentially the you know the Stephen Grant and, and and all that and like what what exactly is going on and I, I didn't really know what specific direction because as we have discussed before we don't know or what they've done previously has been kind of just you know in the spirit of Moon Knight more more than a straight adaptation or even a loose adaptation this is very much more in the spirit adaptation uh, realm if you will and which has not been bad I've, I've mostly enjoyed it besides a lot of the more Indiana Jones aspects which is kind of weird but again I digress but but I expected this episode to be more specific of revealing of what Mark is dealing with as himself and what that means. And I really didn't know what direction they were going to take it. I had an idea, but I wasn't prepared for the change that they pretty much put in this book, in this, in the show. And, uh, I, we'll talk more about it later on, but yeah, I was, I was blown away and, 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 yeah, I'll just, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But yeah, it was it, it, it impacted me more than I was anticipating by any means. And I, I've said it before in WandaVision, I think, and I've probably said it maybe on every other show and Loki too, 
if I hear anyone complain about Marvel Studios doing the same thing, I'm just gonna like just throw <laughs> like punch a hole in the wall because seriously, yeah. When I hear, when I watch this stuff, and I and like you brought up a great point. Like obviously, this very much is very similar to, in some ways, to the, the WandaVision episode, but but obviously how the the results of all of them, everything is much different. And I think that that to me, and again, I, I respect their similarities, and that if people don't like that, that's that's their own thing. But if people criticize the MCU for doing the same old things all the time, you cannot watch. Loki, WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, and this, Doctor Strange, all that stuff that's coming out right now, and tell me, No Way Home, and tell me it's all the same. It's not. Like, that argument is, I never agreed with it before. It's completely, you put it to bed, say goodnight, roll it down the river, goodbye. Like, you don't ever, you can never say that ever again. And this episode is a great example of Marvel pushing the envelope in a way that I wasn't expecting. I think a lot of people weren't expecting. And this is, I think, honestly, Sean, I think this is what probably drove uh, in Ethan Hawke and in Oscar Isaac to this show in the first place. It's probably these last two episodes specifically um, that really show, or maybe the last three episodes that really explain mm-hmm. and give the range and, and an emotion to these this, these characters that why I love them so much. And I think that the depth of what they can teach us as people. So I'm really excited to get into it. But yeah, I think this episode was phenomenal. It really was. And Everybody listening knows where I stand on the whole all these Marvel things are all the same all the time right. sort of stuff. Of and so um, I'm I strongly disagree in, in the strongest possible terms with uh, any of those sorts of arguments. And I think they rely entirely on not actually watching this stuff or if you are watching it, not paying attention. Um, that's the only way you can be so dismissive about it from the stand feel credible, even though you're not mm-hmm. uh, in trying to argue that uh, these things are all the same. And this episode, I mean, it, it just, it was so beyond, as you said, so beyond what I was expecting. And I, I think really what it turns some of the previous episodes into is it just, or what it affirms, is that was all a slow burn to get to these revelations in this episode. And they were done so well in this episode. And if we're talking about early MCU fan award contenders, not only episode of the year, I mean, by default, Oscar Isaac is uh, the front runner for lead actor in a series because he's the only lead actor in the only series that's going on right now. But he has certainly made it quite a challenge uh, for anyone else to be able to match what he has put down in uh, these past five episodes of Moon Knight and certainly with one more to go, and especially this one, uh, episode five. But let's go ahead and, and let's talk about this story and, and what made it so great. And it opens with... A woman saying to camera, but obviously to a character, this is all your fault. And then we are back in, or we also see the scream of Stephen and Mark finding Tawaret. And then uh, Mark comes to in what he is told is Putnam Medical Facility in Chicago, Illinois. And who is the person telling him that? It is Dr. Arthur Harrow. And saying that Mark has been making up imaginary fights, suggesting that this whole sequence that ended last week's episode did not happen. And Mark is saying, and Dr. Harrow starts talking about an organizing principle, constructs that people create in order to deal with their trauma. And in Mark's case, he has created a psych ward, or at least that's what 
Dr. Harrow is talking about as far as all these, he, although Dr. Harrow's point is not that the psych ward is the construct, but all the other stuff that Mark Spector has been creating have been these constructs, but really the psych ward is in fact the construct, which is interesting as far as reframing the revelations last week and talking about, well, it seems like Dr. Or Harrow has something to do with this. Based on what this episode reveals, Harrow doesn't have anything to do with this. He's not even really there. He's just representing an antagonist who is holding Mark back or uh, being, and also, and although in some cases, pushing Stephen forward, as we'll get to later on in the episode. But he is part of the construct of Mark and Stephen trapping themselves. And what exactly is this? What is the nature of this place? For that, we catch up with Tawaret moments after the screams, and it is revealed to Mark and Steven, because the last thing they remember is being shot, that they are, as Tawaret says, I'm afraid you're actually quite dead, and welcomes them to the realm of the Duat, which is the afterlife, or it is an intersectional plane of existence, of which there are many, and then Tawaret mentions the ancestral plane and how gorgeous uh-huh. it is, and we remember how gorgeous it is. In Black Panther, and this opening statement from Tawera and describing the nature of this, and then Mark concedes the point of the psych ward is the organizing principle, and really, yeah, this could be the afterlife, and then it's proven to him when he opens the doors and he sees the boat that they're on. But I love this characterization of the afterlife. I, I love that it doesn't try to affirm that there's any one Specific. correct way of viewing mm-hmm. it in terms of anyone's spirituality, religion, whatever it may be, that, uh, and if we think about these things as organizing, as an organizing principle, as a construct, that whatever you've believed in, if you've believed in anything, that you, that's what you get to help you into whatever the, you know, whatever's next after this journey that we're on right now. And so rather than trying to do the whole, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that mistake from the Avengers, I like this approach a lot more with what uh, to where it reveals and, and acknowledging that, yes, you have the duot here, but uh, the ancestral plane is also real and there are many others. I, you know, by the way, and I don't think you took this line the, the way from that movie either. I just always looked at that line when, when Steve said that as that's what his mindset was back in like back in the forties, you know? So it's like, of course, only one, you know, he would say that cause he's so just, you know, that, of that time frame. I don't but, think Steve Rogers would ever say it. I just think it was a, it was a mis- It was a poor inclusion in that movie. I would say he would early on, but not now in his life. That's, yeah. that's what I would say. I wouldn't say it wasn't a mistake um, from, from that standpoint, again, from his, cause he's only been thought out for like, a month as far as at least i interpret i'm not sure how long first avenger and avengers takes place but i feel him still learning like everything as he goes but that again i digress i don't want to get too far in the weeds on that but um but i do i agree with you though i like the idea that they you know i was to what with our name I, again to wear it threat excuse me threat um she explains the afterlife because the one thing in the marvel universe in the comic books there's all kinds of afterlife dement. I mean, it's hard to explain it all, right? Right. I like the fact that she basically just sums it up like, oh, this is one of many, you know, and then brought the astral plane, which I missed the first time, by the way. Um, and I watched the second time, I was like, oh, oh that's awesome. Um, but I do like the fact that they, they, break, they do establish, establish, excuse me, that there is more than one, which I think is definitely setting up other things in the future, in my mm. opinion. Um, that's just me. But, 
I did like that. I did like the fact that there is this uh, idea. We can look at Wakanda, right? And 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 what they um, I forgot what it's called for there, but like you know all of that. Like, yeah, all, that's, that's the an ancestral plane that she was referring to. Yeah, is that still the ancestral plane? Because yep. I always thought of it as a. No, there's the astral form when you. Oh, astral when you're, form. I think yeah, but form. in okay. astral projection, but the plane was the ancestral plane from Black Panther. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, so with all that. Yeah, all that makes all that tracks for me, and I think there's other setups with that too. I, I, at least I I think so. So I think that there's cool stuff with that, and, and it, I thought they did a great job explaining it. So, yeah, good job. Yeah, no, I, I think they did um, a, a fantastic job in in this uh, quick little scene that that sets up what's going to happen now for the rest of the episode, or what needs to happen because as it's revealed that here they are on this boat sailing over the sands in the underworld in the Duant. Uh, to where it lays it out for them that as she takes their hearts, that they have to be balanced. Their heart must balance so that they can go into paradise, the field of reeds. If not, then the damned souls or the unbalanced souls in the sands of the underworld are going to come up and get them and take them into down into the sands where they will be frozen in sand for all time. Because as she says, no unbalanced souls on my boat, them's the rules. So they have to show each other the truth in order to balance the scales. And that is why Mark slash Steven have to go through their own version of the previously on for WandaVision and stepping into their past, their trauma. But as we get into the specifics of their journey, we do in fact see that it is quite different. And it it starts with a vision that neither one of them remembers. It's Mark or Steven standing on the sidewalk, looking at something across the street, and we don't really get to see it. The first stop on this tour is actually seeing all of Mark's victims since he's been Moon Knight, or perhaps there's others, but mainly with a focus here are the people that Khonshu wanted punished, and Mark, as the fist of Khonshu, carried that out. And a really great line here where Stephen is asking Mark about you know, the just questioning idea like you remember all of them and, and Mark gets to say, well, you try taking a life and, and showing that all that Mark has done, because I, I think we've so much of what the focus has been on with Mark is former mercenary. Now he's been Moon Knight for about a decade. So there's a lot of violence in Mark's past. And I think that in some ways, when Mark is wanting to take over in the more violent situations, it really is more about survival, perhaps, than than anything else. But just because he has this violent past or just because he's been good at it, especially with the powers that he has with the Moon Knight suit, it doesn't mean that dealing out all of this punishment and dealing out all of this death hasn't weighed on him tremendously and hasn't traumatized him tremendously doing all of that. So he remembers, as he goes through, because it's not just that it's a big room full of people that he knows he killed. He calls out the different people where he knows the face. He knows where he killed them. He knows all of these different things. There's not a single moment from that that he's forgotten. And I think it's really good to reveal that about mm-hmm. uh, about Mark to show that it hasn't just been Mark, the violent adventurer. This is he's been used by Conchu. And there's a lot of that that, that Mark is just completely unsettled by and, and always will be. I I like this scene, especially after watching it again. And I think that's the one thing about this show, Sean, we're going to say a lot after these last couple episodes, especially this one. A lot of things 
are viewed differently and you view Mark and you view Steven so differently through this episode. And this is a great setup for what the reveals are because what I love about it is when Mark comes in, Steven's assuming like, you don't know any of these people. And he's naming off all their names. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He doesn't forget anyone's because the, the person, the version of Mark Steven assumes like, you're just a monster. You're just a killing machine for Conchu. And, and we'll, there's other stuff we'll get to in a second um, that there's, there's more to it. And, and again, not, even more than the bigger stuff that, that's that Mark himself is more than just a killing machine. And I like that this sets that up and Steven's kind of surprised a little bit. Like, at least I remember him being like, well, you, you know, you, blah, 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 you know, who are all these people? And like, he's, and, and, you know, I remember every single one of them, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not just, you know, basically setting up that like Mark is not just this person is blindly following Conchu. And that's huge. And I think that sets up a lot, I think, for this, I think the next episode, personally. But I, I really like this part a lot. Yeah. And also just going back into talking about other things discussed in other episodes, that he wants to keep Layla from this. That exactly, yeah. He's been doing this for a long time, and he knows how bad it is. And he knows how it just continues to add up and continue to weigh on your soul. And, of course, if he loves Layla, then, and he does, then he's not going to want her anywhere near that. He wouldn't want that for anyone, but especially... Yeah not her, and also add some credibility to our antagonist in this story, to Mm -hmm. Arthur Harrow and everything that he's been talking about. Doesn't mean he's right about all the other stuff he's doing for Amit, by the way, Mm -hmm. but that Harrow was also traumatized by his experience with Khonshu, although what uh, Harrow admitted is that he enjoyed it. And that is something that clearly Mark has has never felt uh, while he was doing this. So the last thing we see here is in the corner of the room, uh, there is a kid who runs off and into the next memory, and this child was actually Mark slash Stevens, although we know that Mark was the original, right? That gets revealed later on, so I'll, I'll just stick with that and not having to do Mark slash Steven all the time, but uh, Mark, it is Mark's little brother who goes by or is known affectionately as Roro. And the kids are, they go off and little Mark gets to say Laters Gators, which is, you know, not in the British accent. And so it's not a Stephen Grant original. It's a Mark Spector original with his Laters Gators and his mom answers it, but also has told him to look after his little brother. And so the kids are, go out and they are replaying the movie or acting out Tomb Buster, that favorite movie of Mark Spector's. And I think it's his brother calling him Stephen Grant. And then they see a cave. Mark wants to go in. His brother does not. But Mark does the big brother thing and encourages slash manipulates little brother to go in. And so they are off spelunking. But then it starts raining. The water rises quickly. And Stephen is trying to warn them. But this is just a memory. So he has no effect on that. And Stephen watches what happens here. This is where Mark has tragically lost his little brother who drowns in this incident. Mark is locked out running through the construct of the psych ward trying to get through this. He's not necessarily wanting Stephen to see all of these things. Mark isn't necessarily wanting to go back and relive all of these things himself, especially with this particularly traumatic memory. But then they meet up again at the funeral and the uh, Mark's mother, Wendy, blames Mark in front of everyone when he comes down the stairs and she ends up skipping his birthday. 
Uh, Dad still loves Mark, but mom is uh, mom is not showing any love for Mark. And then uh, we fast forward to another birthday, this one being Mark's 12th birthday. Mom is there drinking, accuses Mark of being jealous of his little brother the whole time, as if Mark had done this on purpose. And Mark runs up to lock himself in his room. And uh, then we see grown-up Mark won't let Steven see what happens next. But... And, and what happens next, we will eventually get to when, when the episode brings us back to it. But this se- this next sequence, this next memory that we see um, of Mark's, I mean, as soon as we saw that, as soon as I saw the two kids go off, I, I knew what was going to happen and, you know, just knew what was coming and, you know, then had to go through and, and experience it. But this was really hard. And I, I think that for... For Mark Spector, I wasn't expecting this at all. I mean, I, I was so far off in, in thinking about what is Mark really afraid of? Is there a more violent side of himself that that's in there? And maybe that's the third uh, identity that's still that's been teased and not revealed in the show. And we don't really get any additional clues onto a third identity um, in this uh, in this episode. But we'll put that on the back burner now and, and save it, I, I suppose, for next week. But this revelation about Mark and seeing how it completely fractures his relationship with his mom, although it's not the situation by itself that fractures it. It is his mother's response to it, because obviously Mark as a kid is not responsible for what happens uh, with this you know, horrible tragedy with his brother, but his mom blaming him for that, it, it really goes into, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the whole idea of Mark being feared as having this fear of being unworthy of love. That's how he sees himself. And that's why he's worried about this woman who has loved him, Layla, seeing himself that way. Well, here it is as revealed in this sequence that this is why he sees himself as, as unworthy of love because his dad still loved him, but his mom, the other person who's supposed to love him the most in this world doesn't show him any and really does communicate to in no uncertain terms that she sees him as unworthy of love. Um, So you see the root of that trauma for Mark Spector. And that's just on the emotional level. And and of course, it it escalates even more when we go back to uh, the next part of that memory. But just what they've shown us so far, um, it is uh, it's powerful. It is unnerving. And you just you can't help but feel so sympathetic toward Mark Spector. Yeah. So with kind of go with with the uh, more of the comic book aspect stuff, um, all this kind of lead off of that in the comics, he does have a brother and you know, he does, it's a lot different. So I, when I first saw this, I'm like, Oh, the brother does does exist. Okay. And I had no idea what they're going to do with it. Again, in the comics, it's, he becomes a villain. It's, that's a whole thing. Um, and when they go to the they go to the, the caves or whatever and that happens, I was like, oh, okay, ouch, like that's uh, I, you know, and then you know coming back and all the stuff you talked about, it was okay because this is not how you know. Again, I, I've read mo- most majority of Moon Knight comics. There's a few I haven't read, um, but I don't think this is this is, all, this is all new additions and this is stuff I welcome in a sense to where. You're 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 establishing now how why Mark is the way he is, and in the comics it's just it's just you know something he's you know 
physically going through in his mind that he just is born with, you know, and, you know, whether or not he was born with this already, I don't know. But with this, the, the twist is, and I think it's a good thing because there's something going on that people just are, don't see and don't really think about very much day to day life of, of someone and their family going through the, the trauma and then it turning out worse making the families, you know, and as far as, you know, what we see later on, we'll definitely get into. And I did think it was interesting that, and it was, I'll be honest, it was, it was really hard to see Steven be in the dark completely mm. about everything and seeing that and Mark protecting Steven through that and all we see and, and everything. It was just like, and when we go up the stairs, Sean, and, mm -hmm. you know, he won't let Steven in. And I'm just like, oof. I mean, I knew I was, I was like, this is not, I'm like, I knew I was preparing myself for, for something that I was not necessarily anticipating I was going to go through. And it was, it was hard because I, because I, I automatically knew what we were probably going to get, mm -hmm. you know, but I mean, which I think everyone assumed in that part, but yeah, it was, it was, I was, I, as, a, as a Moon Knight fanatic, I was shocked of just what they were going, what they were leading, basically telling us what they're they're going to show us later, and the direction they went. And then these are good, these are good shocks. And I don't mean that. And I'm not saying there's negatives by any means. Mm -hmm. But I was shocked. I was surprised they went this route. And I think it really informs us a lot of this version of Mark Spector immediately, and you know what comes afterwards. But yeah, this was a complete shock to me. And not in a bad way. It was just a, I was I was very surprised they went this direction, and it was and I was also fascinated. So yeah, I was. This is all stuff I was I was blown away of, and it was, I was on. I just was not anticipating this, mm -hmm. and it put me on notice. You could say as soon as I saw that right. when he when he takes Stephen away from the door, I I went from being very just kind of having fun or you know, having fun in a way of like you know entertainment and soaking it all in, anticipating to like, O S H. I was not prepared for this emotionally. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot to take in at that moment. It was. And I think that, you know, because the episode opened with the, this is all your fault. And, you know, I, I, I had guessed that that was probably going to be Mark's mother. And then that's who we see in the, um, I don't remember if we've seen her in any image of her in any other flashback or picture or anything like that in, in a previous episode, but then seeing her again in the, in the backyard and, so because somebody had already said this is all your fault and there she is, you just know that tragedy is, is about to happen here with Mark and, and his brother. But then I, I think where it it really hit was it wasn't just the mother having this strong emotional reaction when it was all still very, very fresh at the funeral, which still would not necessarily excuse how she's behaving toward her son. But then you see, you know, another birthday goes by and this is still where it's at. And, and obviously the loss of her child is not something that any parent is ever going to get over. And that's not the task that uh, was really there or put before, uh, put before required of Wendy as Mark Spector's mother, but she still needed to love him and take care of him and understand that this was traumatic for him, too. This was a, a, a very young kid who had to watch his brother die. And, and also, that kid was inevitably going to feel 
some sort of guilt over that because he was the one who encouraged his brother to go into the cave in the first place. But how, at you know, 10, 11 years old, how could Mark have known that that's what was going to happen, that there was going to be any danger like that? And of course, the water rose so quickly. And again, Mark's a kid, so there was really no way that he was going, there's no way at all that he was responsible. And, and so what his both of his parents should have been doing is, is helping him work through that and understanding that helping him with that trauma to help him not feel guilty, as opposed to insisting that he is and worse still, that he meant to do it, as his mother accuses him of uh, on his 12th birthday. But as Mark uh, pushes Stephen away from this, we skip forward to uh, further in time to a different memory. And this is an older version of Mark leaving home. And he's calling out his dad, wanting to know why his dad hasn't fixed this. And then we go to the evening that Mark Spector became Moon Knight. And we see the aftermath of Mark and Bushman, but really Bushman's betrayal and getting violent and taking out everybody, including Layla's father. And Mark talks about his past of how he, when he left home, he went into the military, but then he was bounced out of the military because he went AWOL while in a fugue state. So that's Mark Spector probably being Stephen Grant for a while and not being where he was supposed to be. So dismissed from the military. So his only option he felt was the mercenary work. That's how he got involved with Bushman in the first place. And then Bushman turned and now all these people are dead, and Mark has also been wounded. He is also dying. In fact, he's willing to take his own life to end his own suffering. And then Khonshu calls out to him. And this scene is, is really where you become a little more or a lot more sympathetic toward Dr. Arthur Harrow. And, and we've talked about this with Khonshu before and the way he talks to Mark and certainly the way he talks to Steve, uh, Stephen, but especially the one the way he talks to Mark, because that's the one he has the relationship with. And this is full on manipulation by Khonshu. And Khonshu, as we see this scene, it proves Harrow right in what he was saying uh, in front of uh, the Ennead back in uh, back in the third episode talking about how Kanchu preyed upon Mark, and Kanchu knew that this was a person who uh, who was unwell, and that was part of why Kanchu wanted Mark. And Kanchu even says that, you know, when he even says that you have a fractured, broken mind, like, you're perfect, you're the guy that I need. And it just makes it even more cruel when you consider Kanchu, this is part of why he wanted Mark in the first place, and then he just continued to beat Mark up over it emotionally every time Stephen Grant would have control. And that was the part where it just makes Conchu look that much worse in comparison, because this was why you preyed upon this guy in the first place, why you wanted to recruit him, offer him this deal of life or death, and you're the only path to him being able to continue to live and enjoy some sort of life, although he's never really going to get to. And you wanted him because of that fractured, broken mind. Um, but then when that actually happens and it becomes inconvenient for you, then you hate Stephen and you hate Mark. So um, Khonshu has, a, a, I, don't, I don't even know how I'm going to be able to feel positively about Khonshu. If Khonshu's real and part of this, which I kind of, mm -hmm. if he is. Um, but yeah, that's been one of the theories is, is Khonshu the third identity? 
And it almost seems like he has to be because if this is some basically after this scene, it's very hard to envision this idea where I can happily watch Kanchu and Mark working together. Like mm-hmm. as, you know, the team up to give him the Moon Knight powers and whatever. It will be it's quite a creative hurdle they would have to clear just based on the way they have framed it here, as Stephen plainly and correctly says. He was taking advantage of you. And that's something that Mark Spector really needed to hear because clearly he feels a lot of guilt over what he's done as the Fist of Khonshu, as Khonshu's avatar of vengeance and taking out all of these people, punishing those who Khonshu said deserved it. Mark's never been okay with any of that, as we see in this episode. And how he got involved in the first place was someone taking advantage of Everything Mark had been through up until that point, including quite literally, you know, his his life being about to end. The Conchu thing is just, man, I this whole thing when 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 we talk about Bushman, I'm like, okay, that's all there. It makes sense. It doesn't doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make sense for them not to do the Bushman origin and all that stuff, but see it right where it's different because in the comics he. He's dead, and you know he's he, you know Marlene's there, and then you know he he gets risen from the grave, and it's 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 much different. This is more in line with this version of Mark Spector. He's about to take his own life, which again was not prepared for. And you you understand where he's where Mark's coming from, and again, obviously not but understand why he would want to do that, but you understand where he'd be in that position at that moment, like in his life. And be like, man, like, it's just awful. What's what's fascinating is the fact that he's about to do something that's, you know, so awful. And then, like, Conchu comes in. And like you said, Sean, like, how he basically takes advantage of this person and uses, like, this rep- representing, like, a loved parent, essentially, right? And becoming that for Mark Spector. And I think almost, you know, using that that fracture in his mind and that lack of why it's fractured in the first place and using that against him, it's it just, it's, it's crazy, crazy. And I, first thing I thought about was like, wow, like this, the setup of this is really powerful and way more powerful than the comic. And this is someone from someone who loves those comics, mm-hmm. but it's way more powerful. And it, it means a lot. I mean, for many different reasons, because in the comics, Conchu is not like he is right now as far as when he was first introduced. He's just like, is he real? Is he not real? Was always kind of like you didn't know until the you know later on, 2006, you know, with the uh, the Hudson Charles uh, Houston or Hudson Run, whatever his name is. But with this, you establish now that why he's actually talking to Mark and telling him like you are, you know, you're fractured. You'll be a waste and all these things. These are all things I'm like. Man, they're obviously echoing a little bit of like, I'll be like that loving parent that you didn't have that was is is aggressive towards you that you respond to, but yet I'm still gonna like you know build you up a little bit. It's it's really messed up, and I'm very curious where they go with this because you know right now I don't think you're right. I don't think creatively they can move on. They can give you Conchu and have them work together and have it make sense if not in some kind of adversarial way um, in a way where like they're almost enemies at that point, you know? And so I, 
I'm very, I'm very, I'm very curious how they do this. I think there's a way you could say Kanchu's not real, or maybe a lot of that's in his head, and there is a Kanchu, but it's not that version of Kanchu. That would not surprise me if he represents his that mother figure in his life in some ways. Um, there's a lot of angles you could, you know, go with it. I also think he it is real and is who he is. He is an awful person, and he ends up, you know, the gods, you know, banish Kanchu, and they give Mark this powers of, and they leave him to have uh, Moon Knight for whatever reason they they give us. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you can handle that, but this True. was fascinating because, like you said, this was a creative choice to go with the Kanchu that Haro is. He's not wrong. Like it's he's the bad guy is saying the truth. You know, and so that is very fascinating. It's very different than what we've gotten in a lot of superhero shows, movies, or any kind of movie of any kind or show of like this, you know, of any kind of you know action show. Mm-hmm. So it's very fascinating wh- where they're going to take the character, I think, with this. and Because I think, they're, like you said, if there is a lot of creative hurdles, there's no going back from doing that. And I'm very curious where they're going to, how it's going to all end. So, I, it, but I think most of all on the surface of just what it is as a scene was very powerful, very, very powerful. It was. And then as we transition out of that, they kind of feel things rocking as they're, uh, as they're experiencing this memory. So they go back out to uh, on the deck of the boat and we see, all of these souls plummeting into the sand. And uh, Toerit explains that the unbalanced souls are being sent to to the Duat. They are basically being damned before their time. So they're just going straight into it. So that is showing us another part of the the consequences of what Harrow is doing for Amit. And it, it appears that Harrow has gained some power here because we saw Harrow killing people after judging them one at a time, but it's happening a lot right here. And so Harrow, while Mark and Steven are are here in the underworld, Harrow is still among the living, and it looks like he's made a lot of progress when it comes to uh, unleashing Amit and, and gaining more of that power to carry out Amit's mission. It looks like things are, are picking up there, but this convinces Tawarit to Go ahead and, and help Mark and Steven. It doesn't change the rules of the boat, but it does change the gate that they're heading for. She starts directing them to the gate of Osiris so they can try and, should they make it out, be able to help uh, stop Harrow. But again, the scales still have to balance. But uh, So that means that Mark and Steven have to keep going back through it. And Steven senses correctly that it has to be that 12th birthday memory or the rest of it that we didn't see. And Mark fights this very hard, uh, as Oscar Isaac shows. And it's it's just so it's so strange to think about this, but we, we have to keep this in mind because we keep talking about Mark and Steven as two different characters, and they are two different identities, you know, coming from emerging from the same person, but this is one actor in Oscar Isaac. And he's been doing a great job transitioning back and forth with these identities, but we only saw him briefly playing these characters, having conversations directly with each other, standing across from one another. And certainly, obviously, there's a lot of visual effects work, and I know, I think it was his brother who was his double uh, in these scenes, but Oscar Isaac is having to give both of these performances, and he is phenomenal in this episode in all of these scenes, but particularly this one 
where Mark is just the desperation that takes over as he starts hitting his head saying, you can't make me, you can't make me, essentially saying, you can't make me go back there. You can't make me go back to that moment, which uh, brings Mark to move out of that. Now, all of a sudden, he finds himself back in the office of Harrow, who is asking the essential question here that is about to be answered, who created whom? Who's the original? Mark Spector or Stephen Grant? And I think we already had our sense of it, I think, all along, but especially earlier in the episode when we saw that Mark was there with his little brother and his Mark was, uh, and his, they were playing the, they were playing out the roles of the movies, including Mark being Stephen Grant. So now we go back to see the rest of that traumatic memory from Mark's 12th birthday and mom is pounding on the door and Mark is repeating to himself over and over again that that's not his mom. And then as, as Mark is trying his best to process this moment or really escape this moment, that is when he creates the identity of Stephen Grant with the accent and everything, uh, relying on the tagline from the movie, when danger is near, Stephen Grant has no fear. That is how Mark escapes and doesn't have to be afraid of this moment with, uh, with his mother. But then mom breaks in and we see that she beats Mark. We don't see it, but we hear, we see her, we see the approach, and then we hear it as Mark pushes Stephen out of the room, saying, you're not meant to see that. That's the whole point of you. And Stephen is upset, saying that, you know, because now he feels like he's not real. He was created based on, you know, he is essentially a lie. And Mark says, so what? Stephen got to live this happy life, never having to see or experience or know about any of this trauma. And Stephen even gets to live with the knowledge that his mom is alive, where Mark knows that she isn't. And that's a whole other scene uh, that we will get to. But this revelation, it was expected at this point, but that Mark was the original and Stephen Grant was an identity that he created. Um, first, just what this scene depicts is uh it is inc it is incredibly troubling obviously and you know paul you were mentioning off air like in it's very true like if anyone who would have a difficult time you know watching this and if it you know brings up specific memories you know certainly um you know i you know, how could it not and we we totally understand that part of it and and i was I'll be honest, I, I was a little bit shocked that it went this far. I thought the implications were there, and in many ways the writing was on the wall, mm -hmm. but I was wondering just how far they would go in in showing, I mean, they already showed the emotional abuse, but then showing the physical child abuse committed by Mark's mother on Mark, and mm -hmm. it's not the type of scene that, even though I, I'm certainly not a guy who thinks the MCU always does the same thing, and I don't think the MCU is always as sanitized as, as people say that it is, or, or anything like that, I don't know that I ever expected a scene like this in an MCU project and a streaming mm. service called Disney Plus. And yeah. it is to the credit of the people making this show, including Kevin Feige and the folks at Marvel Studios and everybody who's there in, in distribution and putting these shows on Disney Plus, that they didn't mm. try to cut this, that they didn't try to clean this up in any sort of way, that they showed exactly what was happening. And then, you know, and, and even when they pull away and they don't show it visually anymore, they it's still there that you hear it and, and know exactly what's happening. 
But there's value in this for a, a lot of reasons in, in showing that these things happen, in, you know, that these ugly truths do happen, whether it's in the heightened reality of the MCU or our very real world and, and raising a, awareness of these issues that a lot of times we we know are out there and we know are ugly, but we, we're, we're much more comfortable not necessarily thinking about them. But also showing this in a way that you know, even for somebody who might be a younger viewer seeing this, and you could certainly argue that, you know, maybe this isn't necessarily for a younger viewer, and it doesn't have to be, but what it shows anyone watching at any age mm-hmm. is, is what they're seeing is not okay. So anyone mm-hmm. going through anything like this should not feel that this is their fault. Well said, Sean. I, I didn't know you were going to go into that, and I thought that was beautifully said. I mean it. That was beautiful. Um, this scene was a scene I was not dreading after the, we saw the, the, the previous scenes where Mark is, you know, telling Steve, you're not supposed to see this, you know, and he drags him away. And, um, I, like you said, we already had an idea of what we we're going to see. I'll be honest. I didn't know the extent. And when, you know, you get to, you get to see it firsthand in the creation of Stephen Grant, which I was just like, Oh, like first when he when you had the physical you know transformation of 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 young Mark, you know doing the thing where you see him like for in the previous episodes as as Oscar Isaac, but you see young Mark do that and he brings in Stephen Grant after his mom's like screaming at him, and she comes in and grabs a belt. That was it messed me up a lot, and there's a lot of personal things that I have tied to something like this. I'm not gonna get the details. But I can tell you that I it, it it brought a lot out in me, and I've said it on Twitter that you know I had I processed you know uh, the next day. It took me the ne- next morning to really because I watched this late at night, uh, or not super late, but right before I went to bed, basically an hour before I went to bed. And I woke up the next morning and I started listening to uh, this album I love by Nutramilk Hotel called Airplane Over the Sea. And it's it's not for everyone. It's a kind of a little bit of an acquired taste, but there's it's a lot of abstract lyrics in there. Not all of it, but basically I listened to that, and on the last song I just wept. And because the show brought up so many emotions that I have dealt with in my past that, that are associated with something like this, and I gotta tell you that as someone like you know, and I, I've said it on this on my Twitter, I said. If something like this makes you feel uncomfortable, you're not alone. And I was very uncomfortable with this. And and not and I don't say that in a, in a detriment. It was just something that I was not expecting. And I think that one of the things that we talked about off air, and I'll just bring it up here, that I, I brought up, and I thought and we both agreed on, and you kind of brought up too, mm-hmm. was that we, this is, I think these are things that are important to see. And, and not completely, but like what I mean by that is it's important to remember that stuff is real. Right. Like, yes, we know we know we live we, we're watching. We live in a world where there's lots of awful things going on around us. Right. And and, and, and it's it, but we can't lose sight of, like, you know, through the pandemic, through all these wars and whatever, what have you, that this stuff, there's still wars going on at home. And something like this, I think, puts I honestly like an ugly light on the truth that this stuff is real. And, and, and like Mark, Mark doesn't know this is not his fault. Mm hmm. And that is so crucial to, I think, in these moments of trauma that, you know, and I think that's a big, to me, like, that's a big reason of the differences of, um, of WandaVision and the show, Sean, is that here 
it's emphasized that, you know, he's blaming himself for what's happened for his whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we talked about how important this is for, I think for not just for young people, I think, I think it's hugely important for young people. Um, you know, whoever, whoever you think is appropriate for your children to watch this and it's all going to be d- different for everybody else. But this is important for kids to watch because I, as an adult, can look at this and know that this is important that for it's an ugly truth for us to know as in any matter what country you live in that child abuse whether it be emotional or physical happens and it, it is an awful thing and it is something that we as people as sometimes when you're here the victim you don't know you're the victim and mm-hmm. that's in any kind of abuse right whether it be child or whatever but in, especially with children it, it, it internalizes it so much and it's so important. I it made it made this whole show hit way differently, Sean, than I had ever anticipated. Because that to me it shows you the that's how like someone like something like this will just change and alter a person's path, like Mark Spector. And that's what he represents here. And that Stephen Grant was that way instead of becoming again like what what Conchu wants him to be, this like, oh, you're this fractured mind. He he, he retreats to Stephen. And that's why I think it's so fascinating about Stephen Grant is that like he in the comics is just like this, it's nothing. But here he represents something more. It's that lost innocence of what he didn't have as a child that he lost his brother. And yeah, it's his brother's name, but it's that essence of escapism. Right. Like it's there's, there's a lot of meta stuff in there that I think that just like it's it's I think also it, realism that also too that like we as people I I could tell you for myself I escaped so much in escapism, and I think that was so important for me that Stephen Grant represents that lost innocence and how much the Mark was trying to protect that, mm-hmm. and you know it is it's so it's so powerful, and you know I, I like I said I I just I love that what this represents, and and how important <clears throat> to me I'm sorry I'm getting emotional, how much it's important to keep innocence, child innocence. And that to me is what represents Steven. And I think that that to me is why I love this episode much so much and where the show is going, because to me, it is important to keep those things. And I think Mark, Mark in, in, in his awareness knows that. And that's why Steven exists. And I think that's why, but it's not that, you know, he's a lie. Like you said, he represents that important aspect that keeps him human basically um and and what he's craving in life and and what you know and what got him through everything of this really awful time in his life there's just it's so much going on there Mm -hmm. with stephen grant that i just uh it's a lot and like i said when i watched the episode i just kind of i was not anticipating it and it really messed me up in a good way because it it helped me kind of just even not relive but understand kind of things that i maybe have went through other people I, i knew had went through and it just was, it was good, not closure, but it was just good to kind of just represent and remind people, I think that this stuff exists and that we shouldn't ignore it and it needs to be not ignored and that's not okay. And you, it's not your fault. And again, if you feel uncomfortable, I, rep- I recommend you people go out there and seek help and, and, and not help in like professional, I'm talking about help with just your friends, your family. Go out there because that's exactly what this to me is telling you to do is don't embody it and become like this, you know, get it out there. 
like you said before, he didn't want to tell Layla what, you know, what was going on. And this is a great example. Like what, what, what's he doesn't, you know, what he fears. Mm-hmm. And this is what, what, what the show is to me is what's telling us all is to go out and seek out, find those people, don't embody it into yourself and get the closure that you need because it's not your fault. And no matter what age you are, and I can tell as a 40 year old man, I, I, I seek that help all the time. And, you know, it's, 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 it's saved my life numerous cases, numerous times. And so this episode's really powerful and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to go on a long time no, right there, but no, and, and don't, yeah. don't apologize for being emotional. It's an emotional episode and it's, it's yeah. an emotional scene. And, and I think, and talking about it, you know, it's just inherently emotional. And I think it's mm. a great point that, that you made, you know, that for people to speak out for themselves and their truths and, and seek help where, where they can find it. And, mm-hmm. and even if that is, you know, professional, whatever help anybody yeah. needs, you know, to process these things. And, and even if this inspires someone to, to yes. you know, process some of this or, or whatever it might be, um, you know, and everybody, every viewer situation is going to be different, but I, you see the value that these scenes can have. And, and, and I love that it's, it's there and it's a part of this episode as difficult as it is to watch. And, you know, I think you talked about that idea of innocence, and, and that's what Stephen is. You know, you, you yes, there is the the escape of Stephen Grant because the name comes from the movie, and it was also an identity that his brother had kind of gifted to him as they were acting out the movie. So his brother seeing him as the hero and all of that, and you know, when uh, the, the whole you know Stephen when danger is near, Stephen Grant has nothing to fear that's what Mark needs, right? When he's at his most fearful, when he's afraid, that is when he needs Stephen Grant to take over. But it's not just about battling his fears in the moment. This whole episode is dealing with the idea of balancing the scales. Mm -hmm. And this was Mark as a child creating the identity of Stephen Grant to balance the scales, to correct an imbalance, to create some sort of justice that he could have in his world because... The tragedy that he that he endured, uh, compounded by the abuse from his mother, that took away the childhood that Mark Spector was supposed to have. That took away the childhood that Mark Spector or any child would deserve to have. And so, the only way that Mark could try and preserve some sort of childhood and innocence for himself was to have Stephen Grant and have Stephen Grant be unaware of all of these things, of, of all of these traumatic events and the abuse that Mark was enduring. There had to be an identity who didn't have to confront any of that, but not even didn't have to confront it. But the reason didn't have to confront it is didn't even know about it, didn't have to be affected by it. And that was the, you know, the the escape route of it and what it was really doing for Mark and, and allowing him to have I don't get to have this childhood, but I can create an identity for myself that gets to have one and might be able to have a life that isn't going to always be affected by uh, what has happened to me as a kid and how that has affected everything that I've done into adulthood. Now, was Stephen able to stay away from all of that forever? No, of course. Inevitably, this was going, all of what's happening in this episode uh, was going to come to fruition, but. You can certainly see where Mark at age 12 years old was hoping to have some piece of himself that didn't have to be part of all of the horrors that Mark found himself in. And so it's just, it is, uh, it's tragic. And I mean, it's really rich 
storytelling and, and very, very deep and emotional storytelling that is done so very well in, in this. Um, and so it's it's difficult when you have scenes like this that are just so extraordinary while at the same time being so difficult to watch and, and talk mm-hmm. about and, and process. But um, it, it really is an outstanding job by everyone involved in, in this sequence and really this entire episode. But, um, you know, and, and Stephen, even that idea of like, that's the whole point of you is to not have to deal with these things. You don't you don't have to see this uh, this abuse. But now Stephen has seen it. And he's also been confronted with the the knowledge that his mother is dead, and Stephen is denying that, and he now finds himself in the office of Harrow, whom he compares to Ned Flanders. So nice little comedy bit, and I I got a good chuckle out of that, and it was a nice little Same. way to break the tension that was, has had mounted and was so yes. much uh, in this episode desperately needed that Ned Flanders uh, <laughs> reference. And so um, Harrow is, uh, as Stephen is trying to process this idea that, you know, mom is alive because he talks to her every day, but we know he doesn't actually talk to her. He leaves voicemails. And so Harrow is dialing a number, ready to call, uh, ready to hand Stephen the phone. And then he comes to the realization or accepts this truth that his mother is dead and that brings us back to the unknown memory from earlier in the episode where uh, it was Mark watching his mom's funeral from across the street. And as Mark uh, walked away and uh, as he collapsed, just overcome with the emotion, that is when Stephen took over. And the first thing Stephen did was make a call and leave a voicemail for mom. That was uh, the death of Mark's mother and her shiva. And that was two months ago. So that's when all of this happened, as Mark has been referencing throughout the episodes, that it's been more, it's only been a, a recent thing where there's no control over when Stephen takes over. Before it was a thing that Mark would initiate when he wanted to. Presumably, that's what would happen. And, uh, it, it, and Mark's been able to control it. But this one was more spontaneous. And it led to other spontaneous occasions in which Stephen took over or Mark took over and this back and forth that they have been dealing with uh, in this series so far. So the the event that led to that was the the passing of Mark's mother. And we get this beautiful moment. I mean, it's Oscar Isaac to Oscar Isaac, Stephen to Mark, where he says, it wasn't your fault. You were just a child. It wasn't your fault. And... Those words mean so much to Mark and hearing it from Stephen, which is also really hearing it from himself. himself yeah. And he needed it so badly because he could never tell himself that before. Certainly as a kid, he didn't know or believe that to be true. And one of the people who he really needed to hear that from, he'll never get to hear that from. And that was his mother. You know, Mark left home and he never went back. And so he never had, and that's part of why this was so traumatic for Mark, for all the many reasons that this has already been traumatic and and this abusive past with his mother. But when we think about the idea of trying to get closure on that, if there was any way that he could maybe find some way to see her again in in hopes that, because Mark doesn't owe her anything. She's the one who Mm -hmm. owes him I mean, the word apology doesn't even cover it, but it certainly needs to apologize for everything that she's done to him and everything that she has said to him. 
and to also make sure that he knows and understands and also that she knows and understands that she was wrong that whole time for everything that she was saying and doing and that it, in fact, wasn't Mark's fault. It never was. It was never, ever Mark's fault. And, you know, that was what, you know, Mark always wanted to hear from his mother, but he was never going to get to. And, you know, losing his mother, even after everything she had done to him, that's still his mom and he still loved her. So that loss is still incredibly painful for him, coupled with everything else um, that uh, that goes into that past and, and that trauma. And while I'm sure there's always going to be a part of, of Mark that undoubtedly wishes things hadn't been that way with his mom, at least now he gets to tell himself through Stephen what he really desperately needed to hear and, and know and believe it wasn't your fault. You were just a child. It wasn't your fault. And so if it wasn't his fault, then that means that Mark Spector, in fact, is worthy of love and, and always was, even if that's not the way that he was treated. Yeah, this to me when was one of my favorite moments is when Stephen tells Mark it's, it, it wasn't your fault. And you're absolutely right. Like it is obviously it's him telling himself that, but I can tell anyone who has been in a situation similar to what Mark has been, you don't, you you could tell yourself that it wasn't your fault, but you don't believe it. You know, you could, you could say it, but it's hard to not think that those situations are your fault. I can speak from experience in some ways. And I can tell you when, when the fact that, you know, that this is part of the, I think I, the beauty of doing it this way, I think, Sean, of having Stephen Grant be a byproduct of the trauma with that situation is to have that moment of why he exists in the first place. The, the, the represents that representation of innocence telling him it wasn't your fault. And him listening to himself was a big moment because like you said, like he, when she died, it triggered those things. And, and again, a performance when when he's leaving is just ugh, brutal. And you know, leaving the funeral and when he's drinking outside, mm-hmm. and, you know, it it's just it, this this performance is so good by Oscar Isaac. It's such an amazing performance. And when he's when, when he's talking to Steven, and I, I, I it, again, it's it's such an amazing thing because when Steven, he accepts, he kind of accepts it. Like when he says it to Mark, he accepts his role as what he is with Mark too. And that's, what's so amazing. It's like acceptance builds and gives Steven this innocence, the strength that he never thought he had before, before we had it with Conchu, but we see later on, he becomes more of what he never thought he would be. He was, you know, he becomes that hero. And I, I love that. I love the fact that it is, even though it is Mark telling himself that it's Mark growing up and it's, it's the childhood of Mark moving on from that moment. And it's a pivotal part. And it's just, it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. And as I, as we talk about it, as I've watched it and the more I think about it, it it becomes even more beautiful. And I say that a lot. I don't, I don't always like to say that with stuff because I don't want to sound cheesy, but this is truly beautiful. If you can't acknowledge that, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't help you, but, I can tell you right now, this is a truly a beautiful moment of someone learning and I think accepting something that wasn't that they have brought with them. It brought to him to become Moon Knight in the first place. And what does that mean for the, I think as, as going back to the comics and going back to the character itself, Sean, what does that mean going forward with his relationship with Conchu bringing up our previous mm-hmm. conversation? 
what does that inform him? Because if he accepts now that wasn't his fault, he's not broken anymore. So what does that mean for him and Conchu later on? It's, there's a lot of great you know, ideas of this and what that represents as him as a character. Um, I, I love it. This is, I love this moment. It's extraordinary. And it did remind me a little bit of that famous scene from Goodwill Hunting, the it's not yes. your fault scene between Robin yep. Williams and Matt Damon. And I know now that scene gets like memed for kind of a lot of different things and kind of just gets made fun of as cheesy, but that scene's always been great. And uh, I've always loved it and love that movie. Same. And when we talk about Oscar Isaac and his performance, and it's not him doing the exact same scene, but that it's not your fault sort of vibe, but not at all. Not so at all. you have, but just think about how great that scene is in Goodwill Hunting, and that's two great actors with Robin Williams and, and Matt Damon playing out that scene. This is Oscar Isaac and Oscar Isaac playing out that this version of, of that scene in Moon Knight, and it is uh, it's just really truly uh, incredible from a the writing of it, the direction of it, and, and the performance by Oscar Isaac. Uh, it's just unbelievable what we uh, what we were able to witness there in uh, in that moment and, and to consider the when we talk about Stephen telling Mark you know that idea of it, it not being his fault just think about the adversarial nature of their relationship for mm-hmm. so much of this series that Stephen didn't like Mark and you know Stephen didn't Stephen thought in many ways thought of Mark what Mark you know, feared about himself, the worst about himself and, and all of those things. And now Stephen is the one having seen everything that Mark has been through and everything that, you know, Mark literally giving Stephen Grant life, but then also trying to protect him in so many ways, which was Mark also protecting himself. But everything that uh, that Mark has done and, and Stephen giving him that acceptance and, and giving him exa- and that love and, and everything that he really needs to hear. And, and of course, you can go super cheesy about it, but it doesn't make it any less true is that idea of, of loving yourself. And that's what's happening there uh, with, with Stephen saying, telling Mark that it wasn't his fault. And just to go back to the idea of, of WandaVision and, and previously on, when we talk about the differences in these journeys, I mean, just think about the the ends of these. And I know we're not at the very end of the episode, but having gone through the past and, and having gone through the, the traumatic memories for these characters. And, you know, the end result in previous, previous on for Wanda is that she did it, right? She created Westview. Does mm-hmm. it mean everything was entirely her fault? No. And there's a lot of things that were, you know, emotionally beyond her control in that moment, especially with the power, the nature of the powers that she has. But she ultimately did it and had to take responsibility for the mm-hmm. creation of Westview. So there is some fault there, or a lot of fault that's still there for Wanda. The resolution of this traumatic journey for Mark Spector is that it's not his fault. And that, so you have, I, I wouldn't quite call them opposites, but you see the very clear distinction mm-hmm. in what's revealed to these characters about themselves as they go through their, uh, as they go through their respective journeys. Now, does that mean that Mark is not responsible for any choices at all that he's made as an adult. No, it doesn't mean that. But we understand the root cause of all of that, starting from a place where Mark had no power, no control as a kid, um, and wasn't shown wasn't shown the love that he needed from the person that he needed it most. In fact, was given the opposite of that with the abuse that he suffered 
emotionally and physically. And so for Mark to see that within himself and have Stephen be able to see it and echo it back to Mark, uh, which Mark uh, really, really needed to hear, just so beautifully done. And um, yeah, it was just a phenomenal scene. But the episode's not over. We have more to talk about. I almost feel like we need to end on that moment because that scene is so good. But there's still uh, exciting things happening. So now we're back on the deck of the boat and we see that we're right there at the gate, but the scales never balanced, which means that the, as to where it says, the unbalanced souls of the Duat must now claim the souls of Stephen and Mark. And so the unbalanced souls emerge and they are attacking. And remember, Mark is the one who is supposed to do the fighting, but he is losing because they are outnumbered. And then Stephen says, Mark, you've got this. But if I'm you, that means I've got this too. Yeah. And Stephen saves Mark, takes out the unbalanced souls, and then one of them uh, grabs Mark and is about to take him overboard into the sands. Stephen sacrifices himself to save Mark, and he goes over instead. And then Stephen, as Mark is calling back to him, and as Stephen is hoping to be able to make it back onto the ship, he can't. He can't move, and then he becomes completely frozen in sand, as to where it had explained what happened earlier. Then the scales finally balance, and Mark is uh, suddenly finds himself in the field of reeds in paradise at the end of the episode. Not where he wanted to go to stop Harrow, in the final destination of the afterlife in paradise in the field of reeds. That is what happens at the end of this. And so I, I want to go back to that line of, but if I'm you, that means I've got this too. Mm-hmm. We laughed it off as, you know, the whole muscle memory thing last week, but now that Steven knows and has seen that he, in fact, is Mark, and Mark is Steven, that, yeah, it's really there, and their experiences are shared, even if they have been, uh, you know, even if there's been a curtain that's been drawn between the two of them, and, you know, Steven stepping up in, in this way to protect and save Mark, I, I just found that to be so... So incredibly moving, you know, I mean, obviously the the dialogue and the emotion and how emotionally charged the previous scene was that might have had an even bigger impact. But this still hit uh, with this idea of, you know, Stephen gaining this confidence in himself, you know, that he can act, that he's not uh, that he is that he is Mark and, and part of that, which means he can act. He doesn't just have to sit on the sidelines the entire time only to be brought in when Mark says so, or when Mark says it's okay, or when Mark needs it, but for Steven to jump into action here and knowing and believing that he could, uh, I, I thought was just an outstanding part of the episode. And then that moment of Steven sacrificing himself to save Mark um, w- was great. And um, and then, I mean, horrible to watch Steven become frozen in sand, and, and it, you just can't help but wonder what that means, right? Like, is is Stephen gone for good? And, and, and in some ways, Stephen could be, right? Because if Mark now realizes what in, admits to himself and therefore to Stephen and collectively these identities understand this truth about where they came from within Mark Spector and Mark Spector being the original, that if Mark feels like he is now worthy of love, if he can accept the idea that it wasn't his fault, then maybe Mark doesn't need Steven anymore. 
And maybe that's why when Steven was frozen in sand, because of the resolution that they reached between the two of them and then Steven being frozen in sand, is that why the scales balanced? Because Mark couldn't be fractured anymore. These two thing, these two identities had to merge. And they may only go by one name, but there are going to be parts, perhaps, of Stephen Grant. If, if, what, if Stephen Grant was able to channel what he knew because what he knew he was capable of because Mark was capable of it, then that should work in reverse. And the things that Stephen was good at are things that Mark could be good at potentially as well. You know, there's knowledge that Stephen had that should be there for Mark, even if he hasn't previously been able to tap into it. But it's not just about Stephen knowing how to fight or Mark being well-versed in ancient Egyptian mythology. It is really more about from the emotional standpoint, the emotional resolution that these two identities can now could become one and, and work in harmony uh, for Mark Spector. Perhaps that was the balance that was finally reached, mm-hmm. except now that balance apparently means that Mark Spector is, uh, is now in the afterlife. There's so many different ways they could take this. And that's what makes it kind of exciting, to be honest, as, as a fan, because there's so much closure you could do with Stephen Grant right here, Sean, that you just beautifully said. And there's also ways you could keep it going. Um, I, I, for one, I love all of them. I, I, I think that there's value in everything that you said. I, I have, I, to be honest, I have no idea what they're going to go with. The one thing that I will say, and this is, and I, I don't want to, I hate bringing this up as like a, a, well, actually this is probably what we, we should, uh, how we should look at it going forward is from the, the monetary aspect of what, you know, it's more profitable to have two versions of Moon Knight um, because you have two different characters and costumes to sell. But to be serious, that's what I'm, I kind of lean towards. I don't think Stephen, if, if, if in fact, Mr. Knight, and the regular version of Moon Knight are going to be separate people, then definitely going forward, I'm assuming they're going to, Stephen Grant will survive. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen. I would also like it if maybe Mark Spector became one, like you were saying as well, and then you would have the Mr. Knight and he could kind of go between like his own preference of costume. Like this calls for the, you know, more brutalized mummy version, whereas I actually want to be more sophisticated tonight. Like, I kind of like that idea because I, I don't understand why heroes don't have more costumes and change them just on a whim because we as people change cost, change costumes, quote unquote, our clothes and wardrobes, you know, on a regular basis somewhat, I would say a lot of times. So that doesn't, would be too far from the truth, but I digress. Um, but yeah, like I, there's so much there you could do with this. I love this whole moment with Steven, um, which I've already gone on and on about. But uh, yeah, I, I loved I loved this part. This part was was great, and the and the end is just oof. it's it. I have no idea where we're gonna get with this episode, I, and this is why I love what we're getting because this is it's this is a spiritual adaptation of the character Moon Knight. I love what we've gotten with the character so far, minus the Indiana Jones stuff. But again, I don't really I love everything else to a lot, so I have no idea what we're gonna get with this episode. And and people someone asked me like you know are you going to address the fact that we got no Moon Knight again? I'm like yes, we got Moon Knight for a split second, and it was great, and everything else was great, and 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 this is the kind of stuff that I think that if you don't have Moon Knight, in, in, you know you're you're in your costume, you can get away with that because this is you're building and developing the character, and the whole world that that this world is is in. 
And so I think it's a worthy thing for him not to be in the, in the costume, and it makes sense. Um, I gotta tell you, I, I want to see a lot of Moon Knight in the next episode for many different reasons. I think, and honestly, seriously, Sean, I think there's closure there for Moon Knight as a character in costume too. Like what that represents. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on here, and I think that him and Conchu is in costume. It's important, like a very important thing. So they did a thing where he's only in costume for like five minutes. I'm going to be, I will admit to be, be a little disappointed. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to get a lot of Moon Knight in this episode. That's my prediction, but I don't know. I don't think we're going to get like, you know, an hour or 45 uh, yeah, minutes I, of Moon Knight, but yeah, we're not going to yeah, that, we'll, we'll get some Moon Knight screen time next week. And I don't know, like it, it's funny because I go back to that trailer and, and thinking about, oh, I'm worried that there's not going to be enough Moon Knight in the Moon Knight show. And we've talked about it in the previous spoiler reviews. And yeah, this is our second episode in a row that one entirely Moon Knight list and this one basically Moon Knight list, right? Like we just get the flashback of having the costume for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that gives us like five whole seconds of Moon Knight. And so, yeah, it's not a lot of screen time for the costume. And sure, there's a part of me that wishes there were more. But when what they're doing in this episode is so good, it's a lot easier for me to let go of that and not worry about that quite so much because the storytelling here is so incredibly powerful. And there's a lot that I think needs to be resolved now that we have seen the nature of this relationship between Mark and Kanshu and just how manipulative it is, which is pretty much what we sensed, but now we see it full on with how this deal was originally made between Kanshu and Mark. There's a lot that has to be resolved there in order for me to be excited about Mark wearing that costume. Like exactly. I have to know that Mark wants to wear that costume. And, you know, perhaps the resolution is like there's still some good here in stopping bad people and protecting good people, but it doesn't necessarily mean I have to go out and murder everyone uh, or just murder everyone just because a moon god says that I'm supposed to or whatever it may be that Mark gets to decide for himself what he's going to do when he puts on the costume and when he needs to put on the costume and which costume he puts on, whether it's Moon Knight or Mr. Knight or whatever. Um, And then I... I can't even really predict what's going to happen now in this last episode. I don't know where we stand. I mean, there's a part of me that still says everything that happened in this episode, I think the memories from Mark's childhood and all of that, all of that's definitely real. But whether or not Mark and Steven were really in the underworld, I don't know that that's real. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe Maybe this was, you know, we talk about the organizing principle. Maybe Mark's version is is the psych ward. And Steven's version is on the deck of the ship and and everything. Like, whatever that may be, I don't really know. And and it doesn't necessarily need to be real, because whatever it was, it got us to go through these memories for for Mark, and there was a lot of powerful storytelling within that that already justifies what they did here, more than justifies it. So I, I don't know. Or maybe Mark really is in the afterlife, and he'll have to find some way out in order to stop Harrow, but there's other things that still need to be resolved, right? Like things didn't necessarily end on good terms between Mark and Layla. There is still apparently perhaps a third identity 
that hasn't necessarily been uh, dealt with yet or addressed, whether that third identity is Khonshu or Jake Lockley or whoever, whatever else might be happening or might be revealed in the next episode. And uh, we know better than to just accept every single thing at face value in this series so far. So no idea what's going to happen next. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, the best position to be in going into the uh, going into the finale uh, for Moon Knight. And I am just so incredibly excited to see it and just as excited to talk about it. And yeah, we've got a, a a full schedule next week because we've got a Moon Knight finale and we've got ourselves a little movie called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So yeah, big, uh, big busy weekend uh, for us oh, next God. week to uh, get you some, some podcasts here on MCU mm-hmm. Fan Show. So uh, we're very excited about that. But that is where we will wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure you check out Fan Show Plus at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on fan, if you search Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts, you can find it and subscribe there. On the next edition of the show, we are going to be talking about John Watts exiting Fantastic Four. So that film is going to need a new director. We'll also talk about the release date swap for Ant-Man and the Wasp as well as the Marvels. And so we are very much looking forward to having that conversation. It's about to happen as we are wrapping up this uh, episode of the podcast uh, and bringing that to you as well. And then make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. Paul, where can they find you? Um, First of all, I want to say thank you to everyone uh, for, you know, understanding or or, uh, just, you know, listening to this show and uh, this episode specifically. And again, uh, make sure people understand that, you know, again, if you need help or anything like that, please, you know, do so whatever you need to go do. And, um, you know, always, I'm always on Twitter as well. So please, uh, just, uh, take care of yourselves. And again, I really appreciate everyone listening to the show. I really do. And you can find me on Twitter at Herman 22 with two ends, AKA P thug. Also, please follow my YouTube channel, the comic binge. Uh, we do live streams every Tuesday, some new comic book related, or basically want to get people in the comic book medium more. And just, I try to get, create, I'm trying, I'm trying to create a welcoming area for people to read and to get into comics. So please check that out. If you have not, uh, not an avid reader, it's new reader friendly, I'd say, and just enjoy and uh, spoiler free conversations of comics we're reading. So you can join in on the action. And so, yeah, check that out. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. Laters, Gators.